This is a presentation of Patterson Media. Amplify Canada is an initiative created by Patterson Media, designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our economy. Thousands of small businesses, groups, family organizations, and individuals are showcased on Patterson Media radio stations from Winnipeg to Vancouver throughout the year. Every month, we go deeper and share the incredible journey of a few that have made an impact on their community. Some have flourished, others may need a little extra love and support. These are their stories. Welcome to Amplify Canada. On this show, we look back and reflect on some of the memorable moments of Amplify Canada. Amplify Port Alberta. Amplify Nanaimo. Amplify Vancouver. Amplify Calgary. Amplify Edmonton. Amplify the Battlefords. Amplify. We've talked about the power of generosity. I think it's one of those things where if you have the ability to help someone or do something, go do it. Discovered ingenuity through Indigenous businesses. We hit half a million for an independent brand. That's a lot of hoodies. We've been moved by perseverance and hope. My plan was to become an airline pilot. And then I get into the airplane two weeks in and I realize that I'm deathly afraid of heights. Inspired by businesses who flourished despite a pandemic. Truth be told, the pandemic has been amazing for our retail store. It really increased our sales because everybody needed to get outside. Given insightful perspective on how big business supported small business. More than ever, they need your support. The vast majority of the people in our country and in our provinces are employed by small businesses, not by big businesses. Small business really is the backbone of our country. Amazed by women who rock the small business sector. A cleaning company was never something that either of us dreamt about, but definitely become more than what people think about when you think about a cleaning company. We heard from family businesses. We reached out to a friend that I knew had some pickle costumes. It was just something random and I was like, hey, do you still have that pickle? We talked, we listened, we were inspired and moved by the resiliency of Canadian small businesses. Hi there, I'm Linda Freeman, your host for Amplify Canada. Wow, it's been quite a year. Open, close, open, close, the pandemic open, pushed back close, even harder, closing businesses over and over. But those businesses, they persevered, gave back, and found new ways of doing business. This episode will be a little different, more of a narrative as we reflect on some of the stories that captured our hearts and made us think about the vital piece small businesses play in our economy. This country is built on small businesses. Let's listen to the stories of the changes people have made, the resiliency they have shown, and the inspiration that got them there. The first road trip takes us back to Prince Rupert, where Craig Stevens was born. Craig is from the Nishka Nation and is the proud owner of Wolfpack Apparel, an indigenous clothing company based in New Westminster near Vancouver. Craig's story is one of reinvention, perseverance and hope, but most of all, indigenous ingenuity. When you hear Craig speak, it's from the heart. He's genuine, humble and kind. 
Craig went to school to be an accountant. He was always good with numbers and thought an accounting job would give him stability. But something just didn't feel right. Craig was always pulled back to his creative roots and culture, but felt being an entrepreneur wasn't viable. An accounting career did give that stability, but also long days away from home. So when Craig had kids, he remembered a promise he had made to himself, that he would always be there for his kids. It was that promise, that voice, that eventually birthed Wolfpack Apparel. Being a father is such an amazing thing, and I just wanted to be there more. That's the main reason behind Wolfpack Apparel is I wanted to spend more time with my kids. I wanted to be able to pick them up from school. I wanted to be able to cook them dinner. I wanted to be able to sit at the dinner table and talk with them, hear how their day was. Being an entrepreneur, it was still hard, but at least I had that flexibility to be there with my kids growing up. Wolfpack Apparel got its start in East Vancouver in 2008 at the Trout Lake Powwow. The first design was a huge hit, and that was when Craig Stevens began his journey to building his own native clothing company. The brand has grown leaps and bounds since going online in April of 2020, a means of survival during the pandemic. And with perseverance, Wolfpack now has over 78,000 followers on the company's Facebook page and past 10,000 online customers. A testament to the locally designed pieces. There was so much to learn. To go from an accountant to clothing manufacturer and brand developer and marketer is such a big jump. I gave myself this crash course. I bought books, I watched these webinars, I signed up for these online groups. I just threw myself into Facebook marketing. How do I market a brand? How do I market a product to my target demographic? And I still remember my first ad that I ran on Facebook. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the sales I was getting. Order after order just kept coming into my email. And I was like, oh my God, I, I'm not ready for this. I thought if I sell like five hoodies, I'm happy. That's good enough for my first ad. But I think I had like 250 orders in the first day. We hit half a million. I mean, for an independent brand, that's a lot of hoodies. That's a lot of t-shirts. That's a lot to ship out. It's life-changing, really. Taking the brand online has changed everything for Wolfpack Apparel. I've been collaborating with more Indigenous artists and creating different things because I think there's so much amazing talent out there in Indigenous people. Not just in our artwork, not just in our beading. There's so many intelligent and motivated people that just want opportunities. That's it. That's all I wanted was opportunities. And if I fall down, I'm just going to get back up and try again. You just don't know until you put yourself out there. You will never know unless you try. It's cliche, but it's so true. Craig was part of our Indigenous Ingenuity episode, which paints a powerful picture from First Nation communities that the future of Canada is intertwined with Indigenous business success. It's not just a business model, it's a movement. Make sure to have a listen. Staying on the West Coast, we head to the tree-lined seaside neighborhood of Tawasin, located on a peninsula in the southwestern corner of the city of Delta in British Columbia. 
We're here because I want you to meet the two women behind Oceano Cleaning Services, Darcy Hortness and Mary Rapier. That's the lineup from the women's eight. The race is now on. Darcy is a silver medal Olympian in rowing who grew up in Richmond, and her neighbor Mary was born in South Korea and adopted at seven months old into an Italian-Canadian family. They both have twins. As their friendship grew, they enjoyed girl weekends away together, and it was on one of those weekends they began to develop the idea of a cleaning company. One of the reasons we were on a girl's trip and one of the reasons why we were walking every Sunday too is Darcy became a rock for me. My dad had passed away in the very beginning of the pandemic. So I think that amongst her friendship, we also created a bond. Darcy also became an outlet, a positive outlet. And Oceano could become an extension of that as creating something beautiful out of a really, really, really difficult time. So Mary and Darcy worked on the idea of a cleaning company with a difference. The name became a bit of a tribute to Mary's dad, Oceano, which means ocean in Italian, and that was blended with their love of the water. They wanted to create a supportive, inclusive environment and change some of the stigma around the cleaning industry. There was our own personal perceptions of what a cleaning company was going to be like and being owners of a company, that was really exciting. And so we wanted to create the company part first and building what we're realizing is quite a diverse workforce. Our cleaning staff are 80% male right now. It's just worked out that way. It is unique and we've gotten comments from clients about how, wow, you know, you're hiring these young men and isn't that great for their future lives? And the current workforce that is in this kind of service industry, entry-level jobs, they don't have the same stigma that I grew up with. They want to work where they're appreciated as a person. That's certainly something we strive to do. We want them to work hard for us, so we pay them well, and we value them as people, and them having input into how the company grows is something that I'm really proud of, and I know Mary is as well, that they're helping shape this young business, and they've given us feedback that that's valuable as well, to be part of something that they're helping to build. We really wanted to create a company culture where people are proud to be part of it and that they feel their lives are being enriched. Not just you're going to work, you go home, you get a paycheck. Everyone knows now that that is just not satisfying. So we want to support our employees in all areas of their life, but also to deliver this amazing service that we have so far been able to do to give to our community here. Mary and Darcy are rocking the cleaning business, and they really hit home with showing that appreciation to their team. Their respect for one another is clear. Their friendship is strong. And on top of the amazing team environment they have created, they also give back to the community. They started a program called Community Hug of the Month, where deserving people are nominated, and if chosen, it's eight hours of cleaning services for free. It was definitely a joint effort, and the community hug is that. It's our way of giving back to the community and wrapping our arms around a family in need. And 
I think the neatest part about the Community Hug Initiative is that it's somebody else doing the nominating and then the nominees get put in a draw and sometimes we have to do more than one nominee <laughs> if the story speaks to us. The hug is what lights us up for sure. We're feeling like the regular things are getting us down and then the hug comes around and we're like, yes, this is why we're here. This makes it worth it. Marion Darcy, two strong, creative, smart women who rock. And there is no doubt they could also have been part of our episode on pandemic generosity, which is our next story. Growing anxiety this morning about the COVID-19 trend in Canada. People are out of work because of this crisis. A stay-at-home order leaving only for essential trips with new restrictions on retail. Tonight, they close as a new emergency stay-at-home order takes effect. As the country continued to be squeezed by the pandemic, businesses and people were still giving back. One story to note sits with the backdrop of Nanaimo, British Columbia, and is home to a barbershop with a history. The original shop opened in 1895, and although the location may have changed a few times, and the street is now paved, the history, the fact people have come to the same area for haircuts for almost 150 years, fascinates That's 50's barbershop owner, Dave Lawrence. Dave has been cutting hair for over 20 years, and it was on that street that the seed was planted for Dave to one day become a barber. It's bizarre to me to think about how when I was a teenager going to get haircuts there and having the barber, his name was Bob Barton, he would try to get me to be a barber. And I finally asked him when I was probably about 17 years old, I said, why is it that barbers keep asking me to be a barber? And he said, well, you know, you always change your styles and what you want, the way you describe your haircuts. That's something I think you'd be good at. And it's a good job to have. You get to talk to lots of people. But at 17, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So it just kind of sat in the back of my head. So I think it is interesting that I did actually go that route. Dave's love for his craft and his community eventually led him down a path of giving back. He started a program called Fresh Start. A few years ago, I had a friend of mine was volunteering at the 710 Club. 710 Club is a place where you can go, you get a free breakfast, they give you a paper bag lunch. So this friend of mine was telling me how it wasn't just homeless people. And he said, there's families, there's kids. He goes, you'd be shocked at the amount of kids that come there. This was eye-opening to me so many kids and families that kind of fell below the poverty line. So at the same time, this story was going kind of viral where this barber in the States was to promote literacy, giving away free haircuts if you read him a story. These two friends of mine, they really started saying, well, you got to do it, Dave. Such a good idea. Sure, I'll do the free haircuts for kids if they read to me, but why don't we help all these people in the community falling in the cracks? So You guys help me collect school supplies, backpacks, clothes, and books. And then that way we can really help them out because I have three kids. I know that back to school is very expensive to get clothes and books and all the supplies and everything. It's a lot of money. It really adds up. So this would help out a lot. So they said, sure, let's do it. During the pandemic, barber shops were shut down more than they were open. And many 
barely surviving. Taz Hair here in Yorkville has been closed since March, like every other hair salon and barbershop in the province. When the pandemic hit, it was a weird one where my business was shut down and I was told that I wasn't able to work, which is frightening for myself. If I'm not making money, I, I don't have any money. Uh, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to put food on the table? And I mean, I had a lot of people help me, you know, they would buy gift certificates or a bakery would bring food every once in a while, which really helped out, which was awesome getting help for someone that helps the community, which was just great. I think it's one of those things where if, if you have the ability to help someone or do something, go do it. I think I'm very lucky that my kids have helped out with Fresh Start almost every year that we've done it, and their eyes have been open to this. Volunteering at a soup kitchen or doing anything, just doing things to help people, it gives you such a an awesome feeling, and I think just kind of open your eyes that there are lots of people in our community that struggle, and do something to try to help them. It doesn't cost anything for the most part, and you'll feel good. So go do it. Go help. Amazing work Dave has been doing. Poverty is a big issue in this country. And even though Dave was hit hard by the pandemic, he never stopped helping others. I hope there's more people like Dave in every community. We can't reflect on the last few years without thinking about perseverance and hope. Wow, did small businesses have to persevere and hope for the best. It was like one big roller coaster ride with all the shaking, loops, flips, and drops, especially in the restaurant business. So let's head to one of the top 10 cities in Canada, Winnipeg, Manitoba, to True North Square, a unique space that encompasses working, living, socializing, and gathering, and is the vision of grocer and multi-restaurant owner, Bobby Matola. Let's start with Bobby's story and his first love of being a pilot. I had this vision of myself walking with the hat and the jacket with the epaulets and I'm walking through some you know, beautiful airport in Germany or Hong Kong and I took out a bunch of student loan cash that my dad gracefully and kindly co-signed for me and then I get into the airplane two weeks in and I realize that I'm deathly afraid of heights. Bobby's first career aspiration was cut short, which left him with the grueling task of figuring out what's next. And well, that's where his story truly begins. One day I was walking down Corden Avenue in Winnipeg, which is Little Italy, and there was a bar for sale and it was called Dirty Laundry. So I bought Dirty Laundry with my student loan money. That was the beginning to what is now quite a food empire in Winnipeg. But I'll let Bobby give you the history. A little backstory maybe is probably important. So we opened up our first restaurant about 13 years ago. It's called Pizzeria Gusto. And then about five years later, we opened up our second project, which is called The Merchant Kitchen, and that's a restaurant downtown. And, and then about four years ago, we started working on Hargrave Street Market. We opened three months upstairs, and then COVID came. And then we thought that because we were shut down in the restaurants, that maybe we should accelerate the grocery model because it allowed us to be able to do delivered food, cold meals, hot prepared meals, those types of things in different packages and whatnot, and deliver it to our consumer. The Hargrave Street Market is creative and edgy. It has various eateries that are brought together with top chefs, innovative menus, and fresh ingredients that are all under one roof. Even during the pandemic, Bobby showed more determination and perseverance and opened Matola Grocery on the ground floor of this huge space 
now over 25,000 square feet. We got a floral department right at the front of the door. We got a Piaggio Ape, which is one of my favorite automobiles of all time, those Italian delivery carts painted bright orange. We've got an old train station sign that you would, you know, evoke some sort of emotional attachment when you're sitting on a platform in Rome that's got the tick, 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 tick. So we have those that are announcing all of our features, our specials, some insight into our restaurants. We have a 24-hour kitchen, so our baking team comes in at 3 o'clock in the morning and does all the fresh bread, fresh pastas. We also use a lot of that and populate our restaurants with that as well. So there is that vertical integration, which has been very helpful, especially through the pandemic, to be able to rely on basically four addresses as opposed to just one to continue to serve our community. It was Bobby's upbringing and family influence that inspires the way he runs his business. Sunday dinners at his grandmother's house was a safe place. The smell, the feel, the smiles and hugs. It was always something that allowed you to, you know, sort of finish off your week and at the same time get the love and fuel and energy and understanding of what was to come. And so it's something that's always been near and dear. Being Italian, food is a big part of what we do. My grandmother was really cute. She was quite tiny. She was about five foot three. The last ingredient of everything that she'd make, she would turn her back so you would never really know what was in the sauce, what was in the breading, how she fried the veal. When she passed away, which was three years ago, I actually finally got to figure out what all the recipes were because she had them all written out with little notes on what to do at certain times. And my mom, she is all love. She's the kind of person that'll get on an airplane and by the time it lands, she'll know everybody's name, where their kids went to school. And that's what we feel genuinely what our restaurants should be and what we want them to be. We want them to be a place where people can come in and have confidence in the quality of service and the openness and being accepted for who they are and what they are and why they're there. Bobby's life changed so much from the time he desired to be a pilot to making a huge life decision when he bought his first bar, not knowing a thing about the business. And through perseverance, he created an empire. Before we wrap up Bobby's story, I have to share this moment when Bobby reflected on a person who showed up in his life just at the right time. I can remember this guy that actually turned out to be my softball coach later on. His name was Pete Bailey, and he was in grade 11. He was tall, enigmatic, he was captain of the football team, and he also worked at Mr. Grocer's. And I remember having a great shift with him one particular day on the weekend, and he actually gave me a nod and introduced me to some of his pals when I was at school the next day. And I remember that being like, I felt terrific. I felt part of something in that moment, you know, on the people that were like Pete Bailey, or my parents or teachers or, coaches or whatever those things were that kind of knew um, that I wasn't necessarily all right and was going through some challenges and they continue to fight and support and be there for me even when I wasn't necessarily there for myself at times. They just saw the bigger picture and it was really quite something. I'm getting all misty now, (laughs) all emotional. Mm -hmm. We can all use a Pete Bailey in our lives. Small business owners, the heart and soul of our economy, starting from and coming from all walks of life. Often they are family-run businesses, whether it's a relatively new business or one that's been in the family for generations. So many of us fall in love with the idea of running our own business. 
We go on a little road trip to Redcliffe, Alberta, in the southeast corner of the province along the South Saskatchewan River and home to a relatively new family business. It's a small business story with a recipe of love mixed in. Originally from Congo, Africa, Daniel moved to Canada when he was 13 in 2002. He was far from vegan. Fast forward to 2014, Daniel meets Amy. She's vegetarian. The couple decide to go vegan together. Now that's love. After finding it hard to find good dip options, they were inspired to make their own. And that's how Daniel's dill dip started in the fall of 2020. We knew the kind of flavor we were looking for, something savory, something tangy, something that had a little bit of a kick to it, but that was just like a full body flavor, but that would complement dishes rather than take away from it. So yeah, we played around with yes. like the levels and what we wanted to add of things. It's amazing because people have tried it in so many different dishes and they're constantly trying out new ways to eat it. It's just the two of us. We do every single job. So we each probably have about 10 roles that we play, yes. but uh, right, We have office well. work, we have warehouse work, driving work, yeah. social media marketing, right? So we bounce the two jobs, all the jobs between the two of us. Yeah. So they built this amazing business, get a deal with a grocery store, expand into other markets, but stay true to their vision while keeping the relationship solid and finding that balance of success. We've learned to try to take it one day at a time. One of the biggest things about this business is you can't shoot yourself in the foot by trying to grow too quickly. So if we can get across Alberta first, then we can get throughout Canada possibly and then go from there. The lifelong goal would be to be everywhere. You know, you yeah. can find Daniel's Dill Dip just like you can find ketchup. Like it's literally everywhere. Yeah. We have a lot of goals like wanting to be in little packets and little sealable containers with pizzas and things like that. So we're going to keep pushing and pressing, but we're trying to build an empire and a legacy for future generations of our family, right? So we want to build the factory and have a giant company that our children's children's children will continue to run and supply dill dip for everyone. I love how they focused on the building of a family empire. There are a few TV shows that come to mind. However, none that have a dill fairy delivering free dip to people around the city. That was a random idea that I said to Daniel one time we were hanging out and I was like, you know, it would be funny if we dressed you up like a pickle and we just went around gifting dill dip. Amy's idea of the fairy and the pickle, I just said yes because I just like to participate. It turned out into something even bigger than we would have ever imagined. Yeah, we reached out to a friend that yeah. I knew had some pickle costumes because it was just something random and I was like, hey, do you still have that pickle? And she was like, yeah, I'll take it out of my garage. And I took it to my mom and my mom soda. I was like, can you make me a tutu and some fairy wings for Daniel? And she was like, why does he need that? <laughs> and then, yeah, we launched it. He's pretty quick though, apparently. Not many people can see him. It's usually the ring doorbell cameras that get some pretty funny shots of him coming and going. He's fairly elusive, the fairy. We've got some pretty heartwarming stories from people that are like, yo, I was just sitting at home depressed and the doorbell rang and I burst into tears because that's so nice. And that's really why. It's awesome that you're able to affect people in a positive way like that. Family businesses to businesses helping businesses. Let's shift to big businesses in this country that value the small businesses and work to lift them up. <laughs> I know, that was a lot of businesses. 
It was 1976 at the local Overweighty Foods in Cranbrook, British Columbia, where Daryl Jones got his start bagging groceries after school. He worked in 23 communities, learning the ropes of the grocery business, and then fast forward 34 years to 2012, Daryl became president of Save On Foods. We had a great conversation with Daryl in our episode, Small is the New Big, about the importance of supporting local small businesses. I think a lot of people through the pandemic have looked at local a little differently, like shopping a little closer to home and supporting local businesses just a little bit more. You've already supported local growers and producers. So talk about that community connection, like how you have supported other small businesses. People intuitively, at least Canadians, intuitively want to support local businesses. And we've been huge supporters of our local businesses for the last 25, 30 years, even, well, probably for the last 100 years, really. We'll have sections that are just local products. Some of them mom-pop almost make the jam in the bathtub. It's not quite that, but almost that way. And as we went through the pandemic, those products continued to be high on the customers' lists. We knew that it was critically important for us to support the local growers and the local suppliers as we went through COVID, as they were getting particularly hard hit. So it was really, really tough and small businesses. And by the way, I'll say it continues to be tough for small businesses today. And I think they're going to have a tough time probably for the next year or so. We love the local folks. They're so appreciative of us supporting them. And we really encourage our customers every day to come in and look for those local products because the quality is fantastic. And usually the stories behind the people who are making them are even more fantastic. Local is really close to our hearts. I think that's really the heart and soul. Daryl has been in the grocery market for decades and really drives an important message home. Small businesses are the heart and soul of this country, and we need them as much as they need us. More than ever, they need your support. The vast majority of the people in our country and in our provinces are employed by small businesses, not by big businesses. Small business really is the backbone of our country. And just to reiterate, I think they're going to have a tough time and we're going to need to support them. Inflation, highest in 31 years. All those things are going to continue to put pressure on small businesses even more than on the larger organizations. I think there's never been a more important time to do all we can to get out there and support small businesses. I think we live in the greatest country in the world. We have great people in our country. And if we pull together, the future is very bright for us. You know, one of the things that we've tried to do and what we need to encourage all companies to do is to reinvest, to reinvest in equipment, in new stores, if you're in the retail business, because that increases productivity and productivity is the one thing that lifts all boats, that lifts the economy. So I think there's a huge opportunity for us to learn from what happened and for us to come out of this stronger and more focused as a country than ever before. I really believe that we have a huge opportunity to do that. So I'm very optimistic about the future. Some great perspective on business helping business and the important part the consumer plays. To wrap up our incredible small business stories, I thought it would be great to highlight a business that truly flourished during the pandemic. 
tourism has been really hardly hit. It was one of the first sectors to shut down and it will probably be among the last sectors to open up. The tourism industry was hard hit. Hotels, restaurants, airlines. But some saw more success. Let's head to beautiful Deep Cove, Vancouver. A spot locals know for Honey's Donuts and the quaint and quietness of the surroundings. It is also where we find kayaking at its finest, Deep Cove Kayaking, owned by second-generationer Ariane Baxter. My mom is the founder of it, Ingrid Baxter. She lived in Deep Cove and she was looking to buy a canoe in the local newspaper and instead found a boat rental business down the street and bought that instead. My stepfather was away and she called him and said, "Um, you know how I wanted a canoe? Well, I bought a boat rental business instead. So it's got a really great story as how it organically started that way. And 41 years later, Aaron runs the business with a partner. And the pandemic was actually good for business. Knock on wood, we've been luckier than many because we're an outdoor business. So under Deep Cove Kayaks umbrella, we have Kate's Park Paddling Centre, which we work in partnership with the Tsleil-Waututh Nation, and it operates out of Kate's Park. And we also have a retail store called Coast Outdoors, which originally had only paddling gear, but now it has cross-country ski gear as well and snowshoes and things like that. Our retail store was able to keep operating. And truth be told, the pandemic has been amazing for our retail store. It really increased our sales because everybody needed to, just wanted to get outside. With the retail store, we've had the same sort of supply chain problems and things like that. But it's been really, really great for the retail store because we just had all sorts of things that people could get on the water on or get up the mountain on. And, you know, we think we gained a lot of local people getting out on the water. So we'll see what happens as people get to travel. There ain't no way I'm gonna let you go, baby. There ain't no way I'm gonna let this slip away. Each episode, we talk to local musicians and get to listen to one of their singles. I've loved learning about and listening to the incredible perseverance, creativity, and passion that drives Canadian musicians. So picking one was really hard. Another reason to make sure you go back and listen to all the Amplify Canada series. But a story that did really stand out was 2020 Juno Award winner, Kaylee Cardinal. She's followed a musical path like many others, singing in church, performing in cover bands, writing original material. She has two full-length albums and a future release in the planning stages. She's ready to expand her well-awarded portfolio. Now, she's persevered and is a woman who rocks. From the small town of Beaver Lodge, Alberta, to the international stage, here is a piece of Kaylee's story. I started singing when I was very, very young, actually. My first experience singing on stage, I was four years old. I sang at church. That was my first solo performance. My mother drew pictures because I couldn't read yet as like the cues so that I would know the lyrics for the song. I just loved the ability to communicate with people and make them feel things. And it was just something that felt so natural to me, especially coming from church, having a way to emotionally express myself and a way to connect with people. And so 
I continued to do it throughout my childhood. I kept singing. I started playing piano when I was 11. And when I was 19, I started playing in bars and cafes with a friend of mine. We started a duo. And then within six months of playing, we formed a band. My plan was I was going to play music. That was absolutely going to be it. And then when I had my son, I had to take a break for a few years. But by the time he was three, I was already performing again and doing it sort of on the side because I still had to work full time. And it wasn't until 2015 that I started playing music full time again. And that was the way that I started earning my money and I was writing my own music. And from there, it just kind of escalated into a growing business. Kaylee's mom is incredibly supportive of her musical journey. It was that connection, that foundation, that one person truly believed in her that gave her the strength she needed to persevere. The fact that she believed in me, I think it really made me feel like confident in the idea that this is something that I needed to do. And to choose a life playing music, writing music, that's not an easy life. That's not something that's going to make you a lot of money potentially ever, but her support and her telling me that she believed in me, I think is probably why I always felt that me playing music and singing and even winning a Juno, it always felt like it was inevitable. It always felt like it was something that I was going to do and I knew I was going to do it. Growing up in Northern Alberta as a native girl, and we were kind of in a community where there wasn't a lot of indigenous families, I definitely felt like I never belonged anywhere. So I spent a lot of my life with terrible self-esteem and terrible self-worth. But the one thing that I always was confident in was that I'm supposed to play music and I'm good at it. And I'm going to get a Juno and I'm going to get more Junos. When I won the Juno, it was validating for me, but I think it was also a big part validating for my family. It felt good to win it because I knew my son had made a lot of sacrifices in life. And I knew that my mother had made a lot of sacrifices in order for me to pursue this thing. In a way, it was like really about a family validation that this was the right thing. There ain't no way I'm gonna let you go, baby. There ain't no way I'm gonna let this slip away. But there ain't no way I'm gonna let you go, baby. We usually end off each show with the featured artist song. But this time, for the best of show, I want to leave you with something to think about. This story isn't about a business, but about a movement. It's a story about a family coming together to make a difference, and it's spreading worldwide. Edmonton, Toronto, Orlando, and the UK. Let me introduce you to Fatima, Amar, and Asiya Molu, the masterminds behind Kids Who Care International. They find care missions that identifies a need in a community and then matches that need with other kids who care to raise money. But I'll let Amar and Asiya explain. We've done four care missions and our first one was baby supplies. We raised enough money to buy baby supplies, like diapers, baby bottles, the basic needs of a baby. We raised $2,000 for that specific care mission and, and that one was really fun. I felt really happy because now I know for sure 
like we have enough money to help the kids and the people who need who actually need it. $2,000, it's a lot of money. One of their most rewarding care missions was a bicycle drive. It had kids fixing up bikes and then donating them to a local women's shelter. We were really hands-on with that. And we had them all lined up on our driveway. We got all my friends to come. And we all got to like fix them up, make sure they were all ready to go. From a parent's perspective, it's a great learning opportunity for children to see the important role giving back plays in society, setting that example, getting good conversations started. Fatima knows this well. Where it begins is conversation. Conversations around what's happening in the world and having those really important discussions, which for us take place at dinner time, and educating them about everything that's around them, whether it's happening in China or India or Scarborough or Alberta or Vancouver, and how you as a human being brought onto this earth have a responsibility to help in whatever little way you can, which goes back to the whole Kids Who Care mission, right? When kids are given an opportunity to do something, they will, because everybody wants to help and everybody wants to be part of something bigger and make a difference in someone's life, even at that young age. Everyone has been absolutely wonderful, from the parents to their families. When you see a child putting an effort to something, it softens your heart and you want to give more and you want to do more for them and you want to encourage them further. The amount of support we have received, to see that kind of community coming together has been wonderful. You have to be dedicated to doing this. When there's a meeting online, you gotta be there. When you're signing up for this, you gotta be dedicated. Gotta raise the funds. So people who hear this, you have to be dedicated to join Kids Who Care. Kids Who Care is also to help humanity and kids are using their own creative ways to help the community more with their own passions, having fun uh, in a safe way. It's probably the most fun I've ever had in summertime because it's also very social and it also helps kids step out of their comfort zone. I remember my teacher told me this, not all superheroes wear capes and not all superheroes have special powers. So I think that like, you can take that into consideration and think about how we're helping people, but we don't have superpowers, but we can still help people. And you could literally give back from the youngest age. Because we have actually five and six year olds, like really young kids helping out. They're doing a lot more than we are because they're very dedicated to this. And from such a young age, you can make more of a difference. I like to sell things. I think that's pretty fun. And then giving back, it's all really fun to do. And then you feel so good after you do that. You feel like, yay, I just made a much more big difference in this world. And I feel great. Start off with a conversation, end off with a change. Thank you, Craig. Daniel and Amy, Dave, Daryl, Darcy and Mary, Fatima, Amar and Asiya, Ariane, and all the others for telling us your stories 
and showing us how perseverance, ingenuity, family, women who rock make a difference and that small businesses are essential to the success and strength of community and this country. Now head out the door. There's an amazing local business just waiting for you to explore. And once again, thank you to all the people in our communities who nominated all these incredible businesses for Amplify Canada. You've been listening to Amplify Canada, an initiative created by Pattison Media, designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our communities. For more information on this program, go to pattisonmedia.com. 